I had an amphicar that, uh, you know, people, every time you're driving on a road, people love to see it. And, you know, you go to the lake. And, and um, so I kind of got known around Nashville as this guy with all these kind of, I had a Tatra T87, the, the aerodynamic car with a fin. So I was kind of got known as the guy with the weird cars, right? Up and down Broadway, across the avenues, East Nashville to West End, Belmont and Bellevue, Midtown, Franklin, Green Hills, Brentwood, Donaldson, and Hendersonville. The people, the places, the lifestyle, living, loving in the 615. Welcome to Pod 615 with host William Kitchens. Today we visit with Jeff Lane of the Lane Motor Museum here in Nashville, Tennessee. Growing up just outside of Detroit, Michigan, Lane's passion for motor cars wasn't fixated on the big three American auto manufacturers nearby, but on European models. A 1955 MGTF, a gift from his father, would be the start of the largest collection of European cars in the United States. Housed in the once iconic Sunbeam Bread Factory on Murfreesboro Pike, this eclectic assembly of vehicles is celebrating 20 years and is on display to the public during operating hours. As much as possible, the cars are maintained in excellent working condition, and the museum allows visitors to get up close to the collection. During their annual fundraiser each year, members and museum supporters can actually bid on certain vehicles for the privilege of driving them in the yearly road route. Listen now as Jeff Lane shares his passion for his popular motor museum and collection. Pod 615, we're real excited to have Mr. Jeff Lane, founder and creator of the Lane Motor Museum here in Nashville, Tennessee, a big destination spot for car enthusiasts across the country. They come from all over the world to visit this museum, which we understand is the largest collection of European cars in North America. Is that correct? That's correct. 20 years here in the old Sunbeam Bread Factory. Tell me, how does a young boy from just outside of uh, Detroit, Michigan, fall in love with European cars in the heartland of American-made automobiles? What uh, what inspired that? Yeah, it was the land of big three back then. So, I mean, the story, it, it kind of goes back to my dad because my dad was in the Army uh, for two years in 1954 and 1955, and he was stationed in Germany. And when he was there, he bought a new MGTF. Um, and, and, and I think actually he wanted to buy, I can't remember, he wanted like an Austin, I think he wants an Austin Healey 1000 or something, but he couldn't afford it, right? He was a private in the army and everything, but so he bought a new TF, uh, and he was only stationed there for about a year, moved back to Romeo. Um, and shortly after that started a family and realized he's in a cold climate, starting a family and a two seater sports car with no heater was totally impractical, right? So he got, he got rid of his TF early on there but then if you fast forward to i think probably 1967 when i would have been seven he got the desire to have another tf so he went out and looked around and found a tf mgtf for sale and he bought it um we took it to a couple of local shows it was in really bad condition um and so it wasn't very long before he decided okay we need to restore it uh, you know, we needed to, so we started to take it apart and, you know, and re- restore it. My dad was an accountant. So his mechanical skills were, I mean, pretty limited, right? He wasn't really a mechanic or anything like that. So I helped him restore it. And that's, so that's kind of how the European kind of flavor started. It was really from the TF, you know, so, the, you know, we did his TF, 
Then when I turned 12, he asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I said, well, since I helped you restore your TF, I'd like a TF of my own, right? Thinking, you know, that's never going to happen, right? But lo and behold, on Christmas Day, there's a TF. Of course, it's all apart in the back of a pickup truck in the backyard. And that was my Christmas present. So there was a second European car and it just kind of snowballed from there. 12 years old. And you were helping your dad, who was an accountant, restore. So this passion, this is a father-son bond that was created. Yeah, it started early on. It really, so it really started like when I was about eight, right? Because that's when he got his car, and that's when we started to restore his car. By the time I was 12, I'd already spent the last three years, you know, I mean, obviously I didn't do everything, right? But I did a lot of the work on his, on his TF. So, but yeah, I started early. You know, I was into, we lived in kind of, uh, we lived on the edge of a, of you know farm fields and country fields and forests and all that stuff so we had you know we had snowmobiles and we had dirt bikes so that was kind of our you know people nowadays do whatever they do but you know we, was that your introduction into engine repair small engine repair and then engines was your your bike your yeah it would have been mini bikes i started with mini yeah. bikes and lawnmowers yeah i bought mini bikes when i was even you know younger than that bought mini bikes and usually broken and then i'd rebuild them and then I'd sell them. And, and you've taught it. yourself at that age to become a mechanic? Yeah, I, I taught myself because it's, there was no YouTube. There, you know, no, no internet. And no, you know, my dad helped me a little with what he knew. But, uh, yeah, a lot of it was self-taught. You know, and as I tell people, I did a lot of things two or three times. <laughs> right? Wow. How but, did you find parts even? What was the, what was the process for, like, I need a carburetor i need this and how would you research that in with no internet during well, that period you know, when i started with mini bikes i started with honda 50s right which were still pretty popular then um you know there's some used and some new but so really if i needed parts um you could go to the honda dealer and still buy i'm talking about parts. for the mg for the for mg the yeah so you... the mg was tougher because that was kind of uh you know there's a, when, when it comes to old cars there's always what i call the dead era right so the cars are new parts are available and then after a certain amount of time the cars kind of people aren't using them anymore people aren't supporting them they haven't become collectible yet right and then they become collectible and the parts become more available right because people are restoring them and using them and driving but you know there was uh there w- even at that time there was a company in california that's still around called moss motors that at that time specialized only in parts for mgt series right and so really the, and they had a huge catalog um, not that they had everything, but they had a, a you know a, a a bit of everything. I mean, they're still in business now, and I think they still do MGAs and MGBs and Triumph and and other things like that. So that was kind of a you were lucky with the T series, as there was a pretty good resource in the United States for parts. So you'd get that catalog every year or every quarter or whenever it came out. Yep, and yep. You just went through you the catalog, and you know back then, of course, you called wait them up. by the mailbox. You called out, call them up on the phone, and said, you know, I want this, this, and this. And I mean, of course, my dad. You know, I, I mean, of course, it was his money, right? So I'm not sure if you just sent a check for an order back then or if there was credit cards. I honestly don't know yeah, how, how he did the payment. But to remember those days. Yeah. Um, so you end up, you, you start your collection. What At what year did you realize you really had a collection going? How many cars did it start with? And then... Uh, as yeah, so I really, it. yeah, I really started with my TF, and I didn't. Uh, then, uh, you know, a few, you know, when I was sixteen, I took my driver's training test in that. Then, when I turned, I think when I graduated from high school, my dad gave me a TC, so that you know that was my second collector's car. But really, after that, 
there was kind of a period where I didn't do a lot. Um, you know, years went by, and then I think when I was about 40, which would have been 20, now nah, probably a little earlier than 40, I, I, I found an Izetta when I, when I was here in Nashville, I, a BMW Izetta. The you had already moved here. Yeah, I'd moved here in 89. I think that was probably 90, 91. I found an Izetta that a gentleman had taken apart and was going to restore it, but didn't have the mechanical ability to do that, right? So he painted the body, and then the car was all apart. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I always wanted a micro car. So I bought that, and, I, you know, I put it back together, restored it. So that was kind of one of my early restorations. Then it just, you know, they kind of dribbled in from there. But, but, but what happened was, you know, I started to go to car shows, like a Fiat show or some other kind of weekend car show. Or usually The shows were usually like one-day show. And then there was a dinner at night, right? And, and most people would stay together and, and have dinner together. And, you know, you'd always be at a table talking to people. And, and, you know, it got to the point where I had, like, probably around 60 cars, right, 60 classic cars. And people, it's one of the questions when you're talking to people. It's always like, how many cars do you have? You know, you brought a Fiat 500, but, you know, most classic car enthusiasts have more than one, right? That's typical. Um, so I said, well, you know, I have about 60 cars. People look at you like they didn't believe you, right? Because most classic car people have three or four, And right? this that, is what year? Uh, this would have been, let me see, in the mid-90s probably. So you accumulated 60, 60 cars. Collectible yeah, cars. By then, yeah, yeah. yeah. But people kind of didn't believe you, you know, because most, like I said, most classic car collectors, because they only have room for... Where did you store them? Yeah, so I, I you know, I had a, a vending business that had a warehouse, so some of them were there. Um, I had a couple rental houses that I would never rent the garages, right? I had them filled up with cars. And then I, I you know, I, I rented a 5,000 square foot, like industrial building uh, and kept the rest of them in there. They were kind of scattered around. And that was part of the problem, right, is that, you know, um, I had an Amphicar that, uh, you know, people, every time you're driving on a road, people love to see it and you know, you go to the lake, and, and um, so I kind of got known around Nashville as this guy with all these kind of, I had a Tatra T87, the, the aerodynamic car with a fin, so I was kind of known as the guy with the weird cars, right? And uh, what happened uh, before the museum started, shortly before we started, is I had a neighbor, I lived on West End, seen like me, the Amphicar sitting in front of my house or the Tatra T87 or something else, and he said, my son's turning 12, and he loves cars, and for his birthday, present i want to let him come and because they he knew i had more but you know he hadn't seen most of them he said i want him to come to be able to see the rest of the collection you know and he said i'll pay you right and i said no no you don't have to pay me we can you know come over on a saturday come over to my you know most of them the majority were in that five thousand square foot i'm gonna guess the fact that his son was 12 resonated pretty well yeah and i remember being a kid right excited about cars i was glad to do it and so we you know i took him over there and it was so funny because this was years ago so he had two uh, you know, little portable Instamatic cameras that you the, the throwaways you used to buy with 20 pictures or whatever it was. Right. And, he, you know, he came in. Actually, at that point, I had two 5,000-square-foot buildings right next to each other, right? So we went into the first one, and he's snapping pictures like crazy. And I said, ah, you know, you slow down because there's another building with more cars, right? So, I, you know, I showed him all the cars, and, and I gave other people tours now and then. But, uh, you know, the thing that always happens, is people are like, I want to see the Amphicar. And I'm like, well, that's in my rental house that's in Gallatin or something like that, right? It's not, it, it's just not, it wasn't convenient to see. I mean, you could see like three quarters of the cars kind of in those two buildings, but the other quarter were scattered around. So that, you know, kind of put it in my mind, maybe it's time to, you know, make this a true collection, start a museum, put all the cars together, 
then people can see them. They'll be available to the public, you know, for viewing. So that's kind of, that kind of started the wheels rolling in my head. At a recent Lane Motor Museum event, William asked a few members what the museum and its collection of special vehicles meant to them. All right, here today with Patrick McMurtry. Hey, Patrick, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Tell me what the Lane Motor Museum means to you as a, as a, as a member. I just love the opportunities it gives me to see cars I would never see anywhere else. I've been to other motor museums around the country. I love the fact that this is here. I love the fact that that there are cars I've never even heard of before. And so I just keep coming back and every time I come, I find something new. Do you have a favorite vehicle here? That's a really tough Is there question. one that draws your attention consistently? I got so hooked on the Lotus show the last last time I was here that it would it would be one of the Lotuses, but I, I, don't, I can't give you a model. How long have you been a member here? Only two or three years. I started off individually and then I started bringing my son and so we have a family membership now and we go to some of the other events and, and that's another reason I love it here is that there are different things we can do, not just come here, but, but different excursions, different things outside of the museum. All right, I'm here with? Christine O'Neill. Christine, nice to meet you. Mm, nice Tell to meet me you. what uh, the Lane Motor Museum means to you. Uh, it's uniqueness, it's, it's a dream for Jeff. It means, I don't know, I really just like it here. I like driving the cars. <laughs> um, that's got to be a great uh, perk. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great perk. Yeah, I've driven about 300 and how many now? What's your uh, favorite vehicle here? Do you have one? I think I like the um, Matra, the Matra D Jet 9. So, what would you say to those who haven't visited the museum yet? I would say to anybody, even if you are not a car person, you'll love it because mm. there's such variety and there's so there's something here for everybody to like. And the good thing about this place is they drive the cars. Everybody drives them. They act, they're not just sitting there. It's it's actually a moving vehicle because cars are meant to be driven, right? All right, I'm here today at the Lane Motor Museum with Thad Touchton. Yeah, thank you for uh, speaking with me today. Tell me about what the Lane Motor Museum means to you as a member. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a neat, eclectic collection of cars right, that, you know, I've just never had an exposure to. Come here for quite a few years. I've, I've brought my, my granddaughter would come with me and she always enjoyed seeing the, the different cars and, and different things and, and playing in the play area as well when she was younger. So it offers you the opportunity to share your passion with your family, sure. your grandkids and daughter or Absolutely. son? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's your uh, favorite, do uh, you have a favorite brand or favorite car here? I really don't have a favorite, I, I don't think. I just like all of the, the different small cars that I've never seen. Okay. I'm here today with? Jennifer Samardek. And Jennifer, what makes the Lane Motor Museum so special to you as um, a member? There is actually two things. The first is that when you walk in here, one of the things you notice is that you have direct access to the vehicles. So there's not a big red rope keeping you away from them. So you can lean your head in, you can smell the amazing scent of old car, which is the best. The second thing about this place that makes it so unique is that when they bring vehicles in, not only do they get them ready for the showroom, but they get them ready for the road. And they offer events throughout the year, so you can actually drive these amazing pieces of history on streets. So a lot of these vehicles are tagged legally, so we have events and we get to drive them up and down the road, make right turns at stop signs, and uh, they keep them up so they can be on the road.
What's your favorite vehicle here? Do you have one? So I'm a Subaru person at heart, but my favorite vehicle is actually this gorgeous little green and grayish BMW. Um, it's just a classic car. You could sit in it if they'd let you. Um, and it just, it just, it's very classic BMW. It's just a car. Uh, nothing special, nothing fancy. Uh, it's beautiful. I'm here today with Richard Berg. Tell me what the museum means to you. Well, I've been a volunteer up here for eight years. So I, uh, I don't bless cars, I greet guests. So when yeah, the people come in, I usually will ask them what they're here for, where they come from. Uh, usually 99% from out of town. And then I try to get them off on a good foot by giving my mini overview of what we have here. I show them two of my favorite cars and then uh, say, be glad to answer any questions. I have no answers for you, but I'll entertain the questions. Tell me what your two favorite cars are. Well, I do like the 2CV, which is the one that everyone can get into. Okay, that's one reason. And the other one is the uh, uh, Salon 87 Tatra, the one that's in the shop right now. The one that they flipped over at the racetrack two years ago when they did the filming. Did you see that? Did you know about that? Tell me about that. Well, the car is noted to be very unstable because the engine's in the back. And during the war, in the late 30s, the car was dubbed the Nazi killer. And the reason it was dubbed that is because so many Nazi staff officers were killed in the car driving it because they would drive it too fast, it would go around corners, and it would roll over on its side. So Haggerty decided to do a unit uh, on their show called uh, Killer Cars. Cars that kill. And so they came down, borrowed the car from Jeff, took it up to Bowling Green, put it up on the small track, and on the first outing, rode it right over on its side and slid it down the track. So that car was a Nazi killer. The car actually did exactly what it said. And the reason it was dubbed the Nazi killer is because the uh, Czech underground got wind of the fact that Nazi staff command forbid their officers to ride in the car because so many had been killed. And so it killed more staff officers than the Czech underground resistance. And where was the car manufactured? Tatra, it's a Czechoslovakian car. Okay, did it ever get any kind of a medal? I did, you know what, I don't know, that's a great. <laughs> it should, should have gotten a medal, should it? It should have, but if you go on the internet and, and Google that in, the whole history of the car will come up that way. Well, we'll do that. Thanks great. for sharing that great story. Absolutely. What is your favorite car to drive? Do you have one? Is it it's like picking a favorite child? Yeah, or? you know, people ask me about my favorite car. Ob obviously, I'd have picked my TF that I built as a kid that I still have, right? I mean, I have the emotional attachment to that. But, um, you know, ab above that, uh, I, I like the way the Fiat, old Fiat 500s drive. I really enjoy driving those. I really like the Lotus Elan. That's a really nice driving car. Matra Jet is another one. Um, is racing yeah. something you ever considered? I, I, I used to race sports cars when I was younger. Like okay. from, from the time I was 20 to about 35, I raced an MG Midget in, in F production uh, in SCCA. Um, and I you know, got great, great enjoyment out of that. I enjoyed that immensely. 
Um, so yeah, I enjoyed racing also. And these cars aren't just members can sometimes drive these cars, right? You have an event every year where they get an opportunity to pick one and drive one. Is right. that correct? We, we do a fundraiser rally the first two weekends in October. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, rent out 25 cars each day where we do about a 75 mile drive in the morning and then we have lunch and then 75 miles in the afternoon. Yep. That sounds like a great day. It's a great event. Yeah, I you know yeah. I have people um, tell me that that it's the best day of the year for them. They look forward to it every year. Um, and and you know it's I mean I love the cars, but I also part of the enjoyment is letting other people enjoy them. Right. I, I mean if you're the only person that ever gets to drive a Renault R5 Turbo, or you can name anything you want, right? But it's it's it seems kind of shallow. And to see other people to get to have that experience, it's it's really to me it's great. Right, because that's the way to enjoy cars to drive it. Is that for members? Members are allowed to do this, or is that for anybody that wants to make a contribution to the museum? How does so that process? So it's a it's a um, we open it up, and it's a kind of an auction thing. Not really. I shouldn't say it, it's it's only an auction. In the fact that you pick a car, right? So um, you, you don't have to be a member to to, to, okay. to do that. Yeah, but it, when when the and we just had the sale. Um, I think on Tuesday is when the sale happened, right? So, and it usually, within three minutes, both of the rallies sold out. So it goes really, really fast. Is the route the same every year, or do you it, take a different one? We take a different route every year, yep. Mm-hmm. So it's something to look forward to, a different, yeah. different road. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're lucky here in Nashville because, you know, if you go south, you go east, um, north is not great, but, but west is good. There's a lot of good roads, you know, out in the country. So we're fortunate that we're... You know, there's 10 to 15 minutes of trash to get outside of Nashville, right? But, right? but once you get out in the country, it's really nice. Is there a favorite route that you've had? You know, uh, the, the, yeah, I think we, we, we went uh, kind of towards Murfreesboro seems to be some of the better roads in, in my mind. Although the last couple of years we've gone east, uh, kind of along I-40. Not on, we don't go on the interstate, but on the back roads. And those two routes were pretty good, too. So is this held on a Saturday or a Sunday? It, it's, it's on a Saturday. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. The question I want to ask you earlier, I didn't want to interrupt, but uh, I laughed when you told me at 16 you got your driver's license. Now I'm looking at you, and I know darn well you were driving those cars long before you were legally able to drive. At what age did you actually start start sneaking off the farm and uh, well, you know, I, the road I, I didn't sneak off the farm. I mean, my dad got me a dune buggy, or I built a dune buggy when I think I was about 12. So I drove, you know, we had the huge fields behind us, right? It was Volkswagen Doom buggy, and I drove that thing around forever, right? But the other thing that happened in my time was we, you know, so my dad had his TF, and then he got my mom a TD so she could go to some of the car shows with us, right? The weekend kind of MG meets, right? Which would be around Michigan or in Ontario typically, right? So, so you could drive the you would drive these to the show, not trailer them, right? This was drive. all drive to the show. Nobody trailered their cars back sure. then, right? So what happened was when we would get in the out in the country, my mom really was not interested in driving. She was not interested in cars. So it'd be my dad and, and my brother in one car, and me and my mom in the other car, typically. And so we, as soon as we got out in the country, my mom would say, "Okay, you can go ahead and drive now," because. You know, there just weren't, you were in the middle of nowhere, you were on, and you know, the speed limit back then on the on the back roads was 50 or 55, right? So, I mean, I drove, I, I can't remember the earliest age to drive, probably 14, 
you know, I started driving on, on the roads. I'm going to say that you passed your driver's license exam on the first uh, first attempt. Yeah, well, it's funny because the little town I grew up in, the lady had seen my dad driving her car around town, right? And she always wanted a ride. And he always said, well, when my son gets his car done, comes down and gets his driver's license, you, you can ride in his car. So we went down there. My dad drove us down there. She got in the car. She said, okay, I want you to drive over to my neighbor's house so they can see the car, which was like a mile away from where the office was, right? We drove over there. The neighbor came out and looked at the car for about a half hour. Then we drove back to the office, and she gave me my license. <laughs> so was, it was No not parallel a, parking not, or anything. No parallel yeah. parking, although I knew how to parallel park. Yeah. I did. Uh, so, yeah. you know. But and that I, was at the end of the area when all these land yachts were moving around. I, I see some of these. I come to Nashville. I've been coming here professionally for, since 87. Mm-hmm. And, and I see these tiny little little parking spaces, some of these original structures. <clears throat> how do they park those Buicks and Like Cadillacs. the 76 Eldorado, right? Exactly. I mean, Where are they? How do they? And some of them with no power steering in those days, you know? I guess they took story. two spots, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the mid-70s were some of the biggest cars in the mid-60s, they made some boats, too, but there were some big ones in the mid-70s. Fastest car you got in this museum right now, you think? What do you think is the Boy, fastest? that's a good question. You know, we have a Dodge Viper. I, I would think that's— What a, year? Uh, 1994, I okay. think. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably got the— Got the top fastest. The fastest European car that you hit. Fastest hear. European. Um. You know, I have to guess without looking at the list. You know, we have a Renault Majan that's more modern, like 07, 08. That's, you know, 150-mile-an-hour car. I think I, I think that's probably the fastest European car we have. We don't most have a lot of Most famous them. car you have here. The most famous. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I... I, I, I that's hard to pick what famous is, right? I, I Let's say celebrity. You have a celebrity. You know the, two, the what, so we have Bridget Bardot's Simca. Okay, that she owned new. That's a, pretty much a celebrity car. You know the how the, long did she own that? She only owned it two or three years before she. And she, then it went to a collector. It, or went, went to it, a, it actually she gave it to an artist friend of hers, whose name I can never remember. Supposedly, who was more famous than her at that time, but you know. And then he kept it for longer than she did. But, you know, our Tatra T87 that we've had since we've opened and has been to a lot, a lot of shows, that's a pretty famous car now just because the amount of rallies it's done, the amount of shows it's done, it's pretty well known. Well, Jeff, here's to another 20 years plus here at the museum. What would you say, what would your invitation be to those who haven't been to the museum yet or want to learn more about becoming a member? What, what would your personal invitation be? Well, well you, come here. you know, I think it's always great to come and look. And, you know, our, our collection is very different and unique. And I've seen a lot of people come through the front doors and say, yeah, I've been to a bunch of car museums. And then they'll leave and say, but three-quarters of these cars I've never, ever seen, right? So there's a lot of, even even if you're a car aficionado, there's a lot of cars you've never seen. And if you're not, I, I've seen a lot of people come through here that I'm not really into cars, but they like the shapes, they like the colors, they like some of the history. Uh, you don't have to be a car aficionado to come and enjoy the different cars and the history that we have presented here. It's quite breathtaking when you walk through that door and see the collection assembled like this in a huge warehouse. And you do work to maintain these vehicles. So you have a full staff here that keeps these cars in running order and restores them as much as possible to their original condition. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, we have a restoration shop that, that restores cars, and we and, and they also do a lot of maintenance. And, you know, we try to keep the cars in running condition, and we try to actually drive them at least a couple of times a year to, main, you know, to make sure they're continued to be used. 
Thank you, yeah. Jeff, so much for your time today. I wish you continued success. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pod 615 with William Kitchens. Find links to the featured guests in all Pod 615 social media in the show notes. We hope you'll take a moment to follow the podcast in the app in order to catch each new episode. Have a comment or a guest you'd like to hear from. Send an email to william at pod615.com. Thanks again for listening.